0: This is the Ask a Death Doula podcast, a platform of free education on how to have the best end of life experience possible by knowing how to live your best life now with experienced hospice oncology and wellness nurse, Suzanne B. O'Brien. Welcome to this edition of Ask a Deaf Doula. I am your host, Suzanne B. O'Brien. Today we have a special guest. This is John Leland. He is an award-winning journalist from the New York Times. And John has been working in the area lately that I have been working in, and he found out a lot of really great information um, while doing a story. I'm gonna let him tell you the journey that he was on. But for now, I just want to introduce, this is John Veland, welcome to the show.
1: Oh, thanks for having me. And I love when you say that we're working in the same areas because we really are both working in the area of life, not the area of death.
0: Perfect, absolutely. And it is the area of life, correct? Yes. And so I often say that, John, that people know me a lot from my work in end-of-life, a hospice nurse, oncology nurse, the death doula trainer. But I always tell them, I'm talking about life, because death gets a pushback. So when you were working on your latest book and assignment, it it fit right in, because this is constantly what I'm talking about. How do we have a good end-of-life, everyone wants to know? It's about having a good life. And that's what we're going to be talking about today in this podcast. Great. So, so welcome. Okay, so I just wanted to start out. I know my listeners really want to probably hear, did you always want to be a journalist? Is that something that was at the forefront, or how did you find your way here?
1: Entirely by accident. Okay. I, I knew that I liked to write when I got out of college, mm-hmm. and I knew that I liked music. So I started off writing about music, first for my college newspaper, and then one of my editors became an editor at a very, very tiny little rock and roll publication and asked me to write for him. And then I would start to write for rock and roll publications and they would always fold. And the people who I wrote for would then leave to join three other publications. So now I would know people at three publications. And so Ah. I could pick up $20 here, $50 there, $70 there. And I got to hear a lot of great music and meet (laughs) some really interesting people and work with a lot of really smart people. And I just, it was a wonderful way to get started in this business. Through a back door.
0: That's wonderful. So, because writing is such a talent, it really is, and to do that well. So, your real love was music, and then you were writing about music, and then here you are, you know, years later, writing for the New York Times.
1: You know, we're all so fortunate when we find things that we like to do. And I think the older I get, the more I think of it as we create things we like to do. Ooh. I wouldn't have known what I liked. I didn't know that I liked journalism. You know, yeah. I discovered it by doing it. And so I find that that's so true of so many things in life. And as I started to spend time with older people, I realized that that's what they were doing. They were creating their lives.
0: Ooh, that's very powerful. I think we'll swing back around to that many times today. Okay, so so you're working for the New York Times and you get an assignment. What was the title of that assignment?
1: Somewhere around 2014, 2013 or so, my editor wanted me to do something with the U.S. Census, the 2010 census, okay. and didn't, have, didn't know what it was, but this was this big set of data, and we wanted to see mm-hmm. how the city was changing according to the data. And the thing that jumped out at me was the huge growth in the 85 and up population. Right. You know, like I always sure. I talk about this a lot. I say that when I was born, there were fewer than a million, and now there's a little more than six million. So right. know, imagine if there were suddenly six times as many teenagers running around, we would A, you know, go into hiding, or, or B, really want to know everything about them. And so sure. that was my, work, my starting point with the older people. And just like with teenagers, we would want to know what their lives were like from them. Sure. Not, just, not from the so-called experts. I wanted to know what the over 85s' life were like for them, not not the sort of the gerontologists at the local university.
0: Right, or what we think is happening. And I think that's so beautiful because, um, you know, it's hearing it from the person is the truth of it. We could see what that looks like, but there's also the fact that this is very new for everyone that we're living so very long. It's never really happened before. And, you know, I know you said with the teenagers running around and yes, that has its own kind of wow. But our elderly really do come because we're living so very long the chances of us living with some kind of impairment whether it's physical or mental or even financial struggles um, we have to really look and see what's happening there and, and ask i feel like ask them what do you need and how how is this going um and i think that's kind of what you did
1: that's right and we all go into it thinking that we know what it is it's funny you said what would it be like to ski down from the top of the Alps? And if you're not a skier, you would say, I don't know. Or what would it be like to live in a subsistence farm village on the other Mm -hmm. side of the world? Mm -hmm. If you've ever done this, you would say, I don't know. And if you say, well, what would it be like to be 92 years old and have lost some of your eyesight and your mobility? And you say, well, I'll tell you what it's like. And we feel like we know that story. Yeah. But as with the others, we don't. It's this foreign country, and we don't know what it's like till we get there. We won't know what it's like till we get there. And so it was wonderful to be able to spend some time with some people who had been there, who had traveled to the top of Mount Kilimanjaro, who had lived in the Sistence Village on the other side of the world, and who had been 92 years old, and living with some loss.
0: Yeah, so isn't that the way we used to learn before Google came around is that we would ask the elders in our lives, communities, hear their stories, learn from their wisdom. And what I have noticed is that it almost feels as if they're the forgotten population right now. I see people just walking by them. We don't feel like they have a lot of value for the most part. And a lot of times they don't have a lot of family around, especially in New York. People live and I and I really think we need to kind of redirect and just what you're saying, get to know them, talk to them, listen, because there's so much wealth and wisdom there that we can benefit from.
1: You know, one of the great influences on me as I was doing this work was Carl Pillemer, who's a gerontologist at at Cornell, Cornell Weill. And uh, he says that, you know, we're living this great experiment that almost every culture, throughout almost all of human history, when they wanted to know something, they asked their oldest members. Yes. Because they were. They would know the most. Yes. And for the last 150 years or so, we've turned away from this because uh, we've lived more in a scientific realm or a technology realm. So the elders might not be up on the latest discovery or the latest technology in ways that some of the younger people are. Right. Uh, we're talking about you know cutting edge biotechnology surgical techniques. Sure. It's not the 85 year old doctor who's necessarily up on this. But someone hotshot coming out of medical school now Mm will be further off than that. So we've turned to this other population for expertise, and we've made incredible strides as as a technological society. But there's a kind of wisdom that we can't get from our technology. There's things in life that you can't learn from Google, including how to be 85 or 90.
0: I love that. So strong. Absolutely. And I kind of think we've gotten, we've like a little bit outsmarted ourselves. Yes. We've made great advances in one section, but we forgot about the human connection, the compassion, the the wealth of that feeling. And that's what we're really going to talk about. We're going to delve into. So if I may, I want to, we're really going to talk about this is John Leland's book. It is called happiness is a choice you make. And I absolutely love that title because as we've spoke, I have had conversations and worked with so many elderly, and they talk about choices, that it's a choice of how you want to almost look at the world. Whatever our situation is, however it is, it's our decision if we're going to take chances, embrace it, let things go, forgive. Um, And I know that you had a transformation doing the work with these people. I think that what you set out you thought was going to be that experience was turned out to be very different. And I think this is the the result of that. So would you like to share about that?
1: Oh, absolutely. I went into this writing <laughs> with the idea I would write about old age the way we do, which is uh-huh. as a curious maladies. Yeah. It's the thing that happens to us. It's a shame it happens to us. But somehow, maybe we can muddle through it, or it's just going to be awful. You know? And I was totally prepared to do that. I thought, well, what, what is old age like? Yeah. You fall and you break a hip and you lose your mobility and you spiral downward. You start yeah. to lose your memory and you spiral downward. You uh-huh. lose your spouse and, you know, you're living alone or you're living in a, in a nursing home and nobody comes to visit you and you smell funny and you spiral downward. And those are the stories I thought uh, defined old age. Yeah. And what I did for the book and what I did for it began with a series of articles in the New York Times a year-long series in the New York Times. And I just followed six people from very different walks of life, different circumstances, all over age 85 for a year. And again, I thought I would just record their maladies. Mm -hmm. It's a a classic way of writing about old age. And as I spent time with them, I found that they had a lot of the problems that I expected them to have. But if you ask them about their lives, that wasn't the story they told. That wasn't how they defined their lives. It was only how journalists define it, or their sure. kids define it, or their doctors define it. No one is that old woman in a wheelchair. Somebody yeah. is that woman who, you know, is a great writer, she cares about movies, she loves her plants, and she gets around in a wheelchair, you know? Right. And that's what I didn't get going in. Yeah. And I'm so fortunate to have these six incredible teachers to teach me this thing that I didn't want to learn.
0: Right, right. And maybe you didn't even know that you, that existed. I mean, who knew? So can you share some of those stories from some of those people?
1: Oh, they're they're so great. They were all so great. But I always love talking about Fred Jones because Fred, I think, was the first to really snap me out of my way of thinking. And Fred was an African-American man. He was 87 when I met him a World War II vet and, and, um, you know, a retired civil servant, but in Fred's eyes, Fred was just a player. You know, Fred had six kids by four different women and he always told dirty stories and we went to the supermarket the first time I visited him and he just cruised the cashiers to see who was the prettiest before Uh checking out. Fred also had a heart condition and diabetes and a uh, blood infection and he was in the process of losing two toes. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you asked a health professional how they would tell Fred's stories, they would have began with the heart condition and the diabetes and the toe. If you asked Fred his story, we might still be in that supermarket cruising those cashiers. And it was so important to me. And that's how Fred had this really incredible attitude towards life, because he always saw himself, you know, in this kind of, kind of endless sexual ecstasy, but also just grateful for all the joys that were coming his way. Yeah. worrying about all the things that he had lost.
0: Yeah, it really sounds like he lived every day with, you know, the best that was available and he really saw it as a beautiful, even going to the grocery store, which a lot of us grumble by doing. Oh, I have to go to the grocery store. It was probably a lot of fun for him. And that's just perspective.
1: And it was a ton of work for Fred to go to the grocery store. You know, I should point right. this out. He lived on a third-story walk-up apartment. Oh, he yeah. has to walk up and down two flights of stairs. Mm-hmm. Remember, he's got this foot infection. He's losing two toes to gangrene. He's, he walks there. He gets to walk across one very busy avenue where there's no traffic light. So he's getting across that with a cane in it. It's, it was kind of scary walking across that street with him, so sure. it took tremendous effort, but yeah. Fred 's mindset was never on the effort he was making. it was always on what he wanted out of it. you know he wanted that little bit of flirtation, he wanted that memory of when maybe more would have happened you know in his life at, yeah. at, the, at the supermarket or with those yeah. women yeah. he was flirting with. yeah, I, I think he it. wanted and loved taking me along. and being able to tell the story of his life, because, you know, face it, he wasn't able to tell that story as often as he might like to. He didn't have all those outlets. So when he had one, he was not going to lament that, well, tomorrow he might not have anyone to talk to. He was gonna really get everything he possibly could out of the couple hours I would spend with him.
0: I think that is so beautiful, and what I've noticed with people that I go to visit, the elderly, is that exactly what you just said, is that giving them that connection for them to tell their story, people just start brightening up and literally going into like, it almost looks like they come alive more than they have in decades, being able to reminisce and share their wisdom and, and go down memory lane. I mean, it's just beautiful, but they don't always have a lot of opportunity to do that.
1: But they, it was so great. And again, I was interested in what their lives were like at this very moment, so I didn't yeah. feel quite as much reminiscing as, sure. as I might But, you know, to hear about what gay life in New York was like in the 1950s, yeah, or cool. to hear about uh, going through the depression in Brownsville, Brooklyn, when it was a super, super Orthodox Jewish neighborhood. Yeah. It just. Like, the changes in people's lives. Yeah. They remember when they first, the family got their first telephone or a period of time before they had plumbing in their home. You know? Yeah. It was really an incredible world. And you've know, been asking them about those things. Or other, maybe some, you know, different people had different lives. But sure. you know, there was so much to learn there. And we, we call it wisdom. And sometimes it is wisdom. But sometimes it's just experience. You know? Sure. What did you do? You know, yeah. What was that like for you? Right.
0: I love that. So for me, our our conversation and talking about your book is so very important because I have so many people that come to me and say, you know, Suzanne, what makes a good end of life? And I always tell them a good life. And then they say, well, what does that mean? And just today, I was talking with a, a man who works with very very successful, well-to-do people, you know, lots of them, and we were talking about happiness, and he said, they're not happy. So what are we doing wrong, in your opinion, and what did you really learn from doing this work with these elderly about happiness? Is it out there, or is it something inside here?
1: Well, I think you put your finger on it right there, and and you know this so well. From your own experience, uh, happiness lies in our ability to make ourselves happy, right? Mm-hmm. It has to be something within us. If we're waiting for happiness to come our way, we might be waiting a very long time. Right. But we all have that capacity to uh, you know, to find joy in really, really mundane situations, to recognize that we carry around with us everything we need to be happy, even on bad days. Not on our worst days. Our worst days, we don't. But sure. But there are those days that are just kind of blah, or a little bit Then we have what we need. We just need to start thinking about that. Think about the things we have.
0: Shifting the thinking.
1: And there's certain sort of simple mechanical things we can do that will make us feel better. Such as? You haven't called that person you really care about to tell them you care about them. And you're sitting around saying, oh, my life is completely miserable. Why don't you do that? Yeah. When was the last time you did something for somebody else? Yes. Even if it's something quite minor, if, if it's something quite small, you've lost the abilities to do some of the things you might like to do, what can you still do? And maybe it is just that phone call to say, you know, I was thinking about you, I hope you're doing well, isn't it a beautiful day outside today? Or mm-hmm. how, are you, how are your plants? Or do you still have that dog that I remember you having? You know, it's just that little thing, that, that phone call, is a connection with another human being that's gonna bring, not, not complete ecstasy to your life necessarily, but a little bit of joy and helps you take, take the next step. Who's that person who, you just they did something bad to you and you've never quite forgiven them for it? And you can't, maybe you can't even quite remember what it was. I remember when my, my ex-wife's grandfather was, was getting very old and starting to lose some of his memory I remember he was, he was with the, in, in, a, in an apartment with a woman that he never had a good relationship with, and he said, who's that woman? I don't know who she is, but I remember, I'm on the outs with her, and I'm not going to forgive her. I don't know why I'm on the outs with her, but I'm on the outs with her. <laughs> oh, my. So we don't have to be that way. We can forgive people. And again, not because they deserve it, yeah. not for their sake, but for our own, because we don't need to hang on to that pain and that wrong anymore. So that's something we can do. Uh,
0: Yeah, I love it. Yeah, you're giving some really tangible things here. And I just want to highlight, you know, when you said that it doesn't take much, it doesn't, to do something kind for someone else. Someone just recently told me that somebody said they had a nice smile. And this man was like, it made me feel so great. Nobody's told me that. And I remember when you said something about the subway, that the man said, please allow your neighbors to get off first. And you were touched by the word neighbors. That it, and it, and it is something just so simple. It can be very simple.
1: That was a really beautiful moment for me. Because <laughs> you know, there, you don't have a lot of beautiful moments on the subway, really, right? no. especially in that morning commute. Right. And I work for the New York Times, which which put gave its name to Times Square. So yes. my morning train is at Times Square. It's busy, it's congested. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. Busy. And there's usually a recording on the same says, let the customers off before getting up. You know, like it's sort of like that. But this one morning, it was a, a human voice on the on the inner comedy said, Please let your neighbors off. And I would never heard of my fellow riders called my neighbors. I'd never thought of them as my neighbors. And just that little shift in focus, I, you know, just kind of lit me up. And I said, okay. You know it's 8 35 or whatever I don't know what's going to happen to me when I get to work but right now my day has a hero you know it's just that one person did something uh, maybe unconsciously but made life better for a complete stranger and probably many of them
0: so what would happen what would the world be like if each one of us did one of those little things it doesn't cost any money really doesn't take any time And we all kind of did that. I just feel like the ripple effect would be incredible. And you know what? For me, it kind of really says, I see you and I respect you. Um, When I was in Thailand, one of the things that I miss the most is that they greet. Everyone greets each other with, you know, the respect and the whying. And there's something completely beautiful about taking that second of when you're passing by somebody, strangers, whoever, and just taking a moment to acknowledge them.
1: You know, one thing we don't value in our culture as much as we should is wow. reciprocity. And right. just saying to somebody, I see you, yes. you know, there's something implied in that, which is you you see me. So it's, yes. it's yes. a gesture of reciprocity. That's and beautiful. we value so much these other things. We value like self-reliance and independence and, and pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps, you know, achievement and going out and conquering the world. We value these things and there's reasons we value them. But- Other things like reciprocity, cooperation, generosity, kindness, things do so much for us in our lives. And uh, they don't necessarily decline with our age. Our ability to conquer worlds might decline. Uh, Our ability to to, uh, be self-reliant might decline. We might really need help from other people. Uh, We can always be reciprocal in our lives. always have generosity We can always be forgiving We can always be grateful yes we carry around with us
0: and I love that because really the two columns that you just said one is going out getting it and one is going in kindness and compassion and connection is really part of you that's there and it leads me to one of your stories but I want to talk about forgiveness because you, you brought that up and It's so important that people hear this, because for me, it's one of the single best ways for people to let things go and to literally change. It's almost like they're wearing a heavy coat, a weight on them, a backpack that drains them when they're stuck in anger or unforgiveness. And a lot of this does happen at end of life because we we don't have any more time. So if they're going to do it, they're going to try and do it then. But why wait till then? Let's capitalize now and forgiveness again is not for the other person it's for you it's 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 just allowing you to hold on to your energy not giving it away for reasons that really don't serve you if you're just stuck in anger and when you're stuck somewhere you really can't embrace your future or the day as much so i think you have a forgiveness story from your book a woman who when you were saying when people shed when they're not able to conquer, conquer other, other worlds, which I think is a good thing, sort of. No, but when they start to not be able to, they really start to come into their fullness of the inside, and you see this blossoming. So.
1: I, I saw this in a lot uh, of I, I, I'm sorry, I'm blanking now on the story that you're, you're thinking of.
0: I think um, Mrs. Wong.
1: She was wonderful. She was.
0: She is wonderful, and so, yes. so I didn't mean to put you on the spot, because I know it threads in there, but I feel like, you know, she had, she was living on a limited income. Yes. Um, She had worked very hard in her life. Her son had passed away. You know, there was so much stress that she had been under, and when things got simpler, when her life, when she got older, and she found really, like, this really happy place that she lives in day to day, it seems to me.
1: Yeah, Ping is Ping is still with us, so I'll speak about her in the, in the present tense. Yes. She's, she's dealing with dementia now, so it's, it's okay. hard for her. But yeah. Ping, Ping was 90 when I met her, living on just $700 a month from Social Security. And she couldn't afford her pain medications for her joints, so she'd cut the patches in half to make them last longer. So Ping had dealt with a lot of loss in her life, including, as you mentioned, her son, who had been murdered in a department store in China. Uh, He was the only son, which meant a tremendous loss in a Chinese family, mean a lot in any family. But that was a loss that Ping never felt she would be able to recover from. Yeah. For a couple of years, she couldn't sleep. She just, her life didn't have any meaning anymore. And she got up one day, and it did. And I think one of the things it meant was stop thinking about the people who had killed her son.
0: Right.
1: And stop thinking about that loss. And at that point, she was able to go on with her life. And she rebuilt this life, you know, excuse me, you know, in a lovely subsidized building in in Manhattan. Uh, She had an aid courtesy of Medicaid that came for seven hours every day. She didn't have to pay for it, took care of all her cooking and cleaning and shopping. So, you know, and she just played Mahjong every day with the same three women in her building. So she could think of her life as, the loss of her mobility, the loss of her son, the loss of her husband, or she could think of her life as this Mahjong game she played with three people, three women from the same province that she was from in China. Mm, and it's an ongoing Mahjong game. And then the things you lose are you know, obstacles along the way. They're not the way.
0: Right, beautiful. So let's talk about gratitude and what that can do. Because, you know, really, you give such great stories and advice about, and we'll wrap it up at the end, about really the the four things, if they're four, that we want people to really walk away with. Um, But gratitude is so important. And I know we've kind of danced around, like what you're saying, the appreciation. What what have you learned from gratitude within your stories? And what would you like to say about it?
1: Well, there's a great thing about gratitude. Uh, You know, Fred was a classic grateful person. Mm -hmm. You know, as hard as his life was, he said his favorite part of the day was waking up in the morning and saying, thank God for another day. Mm -hmm. You know, it's classic, you know, glass half full. Yeah, yeah. But there's like a ton of research on gratitude that that shows that that just like making note of one thing that you're grateful for Mm -hmm. on a regular basis, people sleep better, they become more optimistic about the future, they they will rate their well-being higher. And not only that, but like lower blood pressure, better immune function, less inflammation, and lower levels of stress hormones yeah. which are really damaging to our bodies. So, yeah. you know, like if there were a pill that would do all that, we would clamor for it. We would pay anything for it, we'd invest in the company that made it, but we can all do it in just the time it takes to say, Oh, thanks, thanks for another day or yeah. Thanks for this person in my life, or, you know, thanks for this memory that I have. Yes. Thanks for the, the view that I have in front of me. Yeah. Whatever it is that I can give thanks for, because we Great. all have something.
0: And that's it. You know, you had talked about that earlier about we all have things that are great. We all have things. Every single one of us, and I don't even care if it's the worst day you've ever had, we still have things that we're grateful for. We're so lucky. Like even just clean water to drink and as much of it that you want. You know, these are things that we don't think about, but we all have so much. I mean, maybe people, again, thank you for the Game of Thrones. You know, that was such a, there's so many things to be grateful for. And I think we all love our animals our animals you know, our families, the sunshine, and it does, there are studies, there are major studies that link gratitude with all of the health benefits that you just said, Um, to the extent that you're right. If it was in a pill form with a little G on it, or a big G, we'd be all taking it. Uh, But if you just took five minutes of your day in the morning to, to just think of one or three things, I like three quick things, you change your whole, like your whole day goes better.
1: And it's easy to do the other thing, right? It's easier to dwell on the, the things that are bad in our lives, because you know, if you think about it, as we were evolving as a species, it was the bad things that were going to kill us, right? It yeah. was the danger outside our door or this the ice storm coming. Yeah. So if we were wrong about those things, if we failed to acknowledge them, you know, there were great consequences for them. But but we don't really live in that world anymore. We. And we have an abundance of things that we can be grateful for, even on bad days. Again, not on your worst day. Mm-hmm. On your worst day, we, you need to acknowledge how bad things are. You know, and, and Ping, you know, I mentioned Ping and the, sure. and the grieving process she had. She had to go through that. Somebody else Absolutely. might have gone through for a little bit shorter period or a little bit yeah. longer period, but you had to honor that loss.
0: Of course. I don't think you can move through things unless you do honor them and you know what we're saying here about happiness is that it's a choice but things will happen in our lives it's just what is the part of life it will go up and down and we'll go through them but I think it's how you go through it and how you end up on the other side that we're talking about you know are you going to let that define you for the rest of your future days or are you going to say okay you know that happened. Maybe even learn from it because I think there's things we can learn from everything. Um, maybe even pay it forward to help somebody else through situations that, that were painful because you can understand what that was if that's the case. And then go on and enjoy every day the best that you can with what we have.
1: And and one of the great things about spending time with the people of age eight five. Yeah. We had dealt with a lot of loss in their lives. Yes. You no. Know, yeah. They had, of course all lost their parents. Right. Uh, but they'd lost other things. They'd lost different things that they thought they could never live without. You know, levels of mobility or eyesight or, yeah. or health or or anything. Sure. And they got on. So they learned from experience again and again and again from repetition that all these things, these losses that we think are going to cripple us and leave us permanently uh, uh, lessered. Right. We don't. We recover from almost all of our losses. There are some losses that are just so big, you never quite recover from it. You, you need to make your life on the other side. But right. most of our losses aren't like that. right? And we can have fun, 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 even after daddy takes the T-bird away, right?
0: You can find joy, and you can find joy. I really feel that the whole thing that we're really trying to understand now is that the joy and the happiness is really in the simpler things than what we've all been kind of going for because I see so many people, they're they're going for these big things they do achieve a lot and they're still completely empty. So obviously that's not the golden key that brings you happiness. Those aren't bad things, but it's really the connection and that's what we're talking about. So with that being said, um, when you set out and you wrote this book, what do you want to kind of, how would you summarize it that you want people to walk away with. You know, we talked about gratitude and forgiveness and that happiness is a choice, but let's hear from the wisdom of these wonderful people and experience that you got to spend time with, how you would like to sum up and leave our listeners with a few key wonderful things that they can enrich their lives.
1: Well, there's simple practices we can do, right? There really is that daily practice of gratitude, Mm -hmm. practice of forgiveness that, Doing things for other people that yes. living with the sense of purpose and understanding that purpose is something you create, not something that you find. Uh, living with creativity, if that's what's important to you, you know, that's something that's available to all of us. And uh, and doing what you can to, to connect yourself with the people that you care about in life.
0: I love you know, all
1: that. You don't care about, you know, you think about all the time that, Younger people spend going to networking events or feeling going on blind dates. You know, like if we can spend time with the people that we really, really care about, the ones that are important to us, our lives are pretty good. So those are the things, the practices we can do. And then philosophically, I think the really simple thing is that whatever hardships we have, whatever age we are, we get to say, what role they, we play in they play in our lives, right? Right, whether and having it grow or the center. We are not defined by the circumstances of our lives. We get to write the story of how we fit into those circumstances, and we can make it a happy story or an unhappy story.
0: So, if we all knew that, if we knew that I am the creator of my life, and I can choose whether it's a happy, joyful, wonderful, or a miserable, depressed. We're going to choose this. We're just, I feel like we're not sure how to do that. And I love that this book really goes into it. And what you just said talks about that. One thing I really want to expand on is the purpose. Because I believe that is so important that we all have a purpose. And you have to get out there to be able to connect with your purpose. Would you agree it's not going to knock on your door? Chances are it's not knocking on your door. So what did you learn about that?
1: Well, we that's yes, that's right. We grow up thinking that oh, I'm going to find my calling. It's going to come my way one day, one day. Yeah, uh, we can find it. But no, our our purpose is the doing. It's what yeah. we're doing. Yeah, and we need to understand that as our purpose.
0: Love it. So you have to be. You can create your life, but you have to be an active participant in it. And you have to get out there. You have to get out of your comfort zone. I think we're way too comfortable and just monotonous in what we're doing and just accept it for I mean the fact when people say you know they wait for Friday at five o'clock to you know have happiness or to come alive I said that's pretty short happiness you know go out Friday night and Saturday and Monday you're miserable back at work so you really want to you know find something that fills that light inside you Um, but you have to be able and willing to go out and try things in order to connect with what that is Yes. Go out.
1: Fail. Do know, it. Yes. Do something wrong.
0: Uh, yeah. There is no wrong, wrong, right?
1: Understand you can take that love.
0: Yeah. So, John Leland, forgiveness, gratitude, taking part in co-creating your existence with passion and a choice of happiness. It's a choice that you can choose. You have the ability to do it. So, choose go ahead because i know people are asking they want this so i want to share this amazing book and john where can people get the book
1: they can get it on amazon they can still get it in bookstores It came out in paperback at the beginning of the year so it's a little bit cheaper and uh you I, I make no promises for the writing in it but you'll get to meet really six really really interesting people and the people in it are older they're over 85 and the wisdom that they share is a lot older than that. I didn't invent any of this stuff. I'm really proud of this book, and I get to sort of crow about it because it's not my doing. It's, I learned it from them, and they learned it from, you know, the spheres themselves.
0: Doesn't get better than that. Well, I can say that it's a fantastic book, and everyone that has read it that I've recommended to absolutely loves it. I get emails all the time. So go out and get yourself a copy. I will also post the link down below, so you can just click that link and buy it. And John Leland, I want to thank you so much for being on the podcast and for sharing this amazing journey with us.
1: Oh, Suzanne, this has been great. I really appreciate
0: it. Okay. Thank you so much. Everyone, this is Suzanne O'Brien from Ask a Death Doula, and I will see you in the next episode. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to another episode of Ask a Death Doula. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a raving review. Subscribe, share, and send your questions. See you in the next episode.